Welcome to Why We Do This, a podcast for and by performing artists. Find out more about our guests and about us at whywedothispodcast.com. Our guest today is Chris Halliday. He's a fantastic actor and a teaching artist. He and I did a show together a few years ago, and we've stayed in touch ever since. We discussed his journey toward finding his love for acting, which came on a bit later than it does for most, and the importance of theater for our evolution, cultural understanding, and community building. That was an amazing experience, was it not? <laughs> Absolutely. And actually, if I if I may, we met before that when you oh. the the summer before. Um, I know the celeb, you know, I was, I was a little starstruck, Terrence, when uh, you did that, um, it was a festival play. Um, yes, Algorithmism. Algorithmism. And that title yeah. alone should give you a hint as, to far, as far as what that play was like. And, and, and with all respect, I, I saw Terrence um, working on a very challenging script and making it work. And I was just blown away like that that dialogue was really really tough and you yeah. you know man you navigated through it and i was like this this is no small task what this actor is doing and yeah. i immediately was just drawn to you and your work yeah well thanks for saying that that was a very tough script it was 80 pages long mm -hmm. and i think my character talked talked literally for 60 of those pages or something. And it was a festival show. So yeah, I think I coached you a little bit online yeah. for that a couple of times, but anyway. Yeah. Really tough. That was really great. Tough. I've often uh, thought back about that play that it was actually really, really intellectually stimulating. Yeah. I don't know what it was like to watch, but <laughs> not my concern, but let's shift the focus to you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if someone asks you right now, who you are, what do you do? Like if you're just walking, you know, a stranger's walking up to you and says, hey, I, uh, what do you do? Uh, what do you say? Um, I say I'm an actor who teaches. Uh -huh. So fill us in. Fill you in. It's, um, it's interesting. Like I, I, I came to acting a little later in life. So maybe a lot later um, comparatively. Um, and so... I guess having, just for lack of a better word, real world <laughs> experience titles were something that were, had, had a meaning to me. And I just felt um, that the title of an actor needed to be earned. And I felt like when I finished um, my first round of training, like from a real program, and I graduated from that program, I felt like, okay, you know what? I can now say this. I could say I'm an actress. That was something that was, um, I don't know, maybe precious is too strong a word, but uh, it was important to me. And then when I started teaching after, after I got my master's degree um, many, many years ago, I wanted to be careful. I don't know, again, it's like, Living in LA for a while, there was always sort of a way that you would be compartmentalized very, very easily because I would also, I also had some experience in makeup artistry during my time out there. So you right. could easily become thought of as like, oh yeah, he's the makeup guy. And then actor kind of became, would become this, this marginalized way that you were thought of. And, and it was just important for me that like I was, people were, 
knew that I was an actor first. And I always feel that I'm an actor first and be, especially with teaching my personal opinion, I feel I'm a better teacher when I'm acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, I had not been acting for 25 years. I had done some stage management and a few projects here and there um, because I was having uh, Julia and her siblings, five kids, and it was a long time. And there was a lot to do. But in two, yeah, five. But in 2011, um, things shifted enough so that I could like have a little bit of latitude and I started auditioning again. And so that's when I started acting again. But um, I had been teaching already for over 10 years and then I started acting and it completely changed what I was doing in the room. Subtly, slowly, eventually, almost completely changed what I was, the messaging I was giving to the actors. And I don't just teach acting, but when I'm teaching acting, now it's very different. Now that I've been in, audition mm. rooms all over the city and yeah, yeah. on shoots all around and um, and then, you know, been on small stages and big stages recently and seeing what the world's doing, right? It's quite different. Yeah. When, when you said, um, when you said that you started late in life, if you don't mind, let's go to like the inception of this for you. Like what were you doing before and then what made you um, change? Sure, sure. Um, through high school, I was a pretty shy kid. Very, very shy. So people are often surprised I didn't do any high school plays. I didn't do any acting up in, you know, at that point. And in fact, I didn't start acting at all until probably like around the age 25, 26, when I took my first acting class. I was living in Washington, D.C. I had um, I gotten an undergrad degree from George Washington University and I was working as, as, as a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. And wow. um, to keep my sanity, I kept my bartending job. Mm. So um, you can yeah. imagine how fulfilling that life was. And, and, and to some people, <laughs> to some people, to be fair, I mean, living in D.C., if politics is your thing, um, you know, current, current life, current time notwithstanding, it's exciting, you know, to be around all that um, history and whatnot. So... I knew what I was involved with was significant, but it wasn't doing anything for me. Hmm. Um, I literally just kind of find my way, found my way in there. And I just had this restaurant job that I was actually enjoying more. And I became, it was, you know, ascended to a, a bartender, which was ironically giving me more confidence being mm-hmm. a bartender. It's crazy how much power you receive. Without trying as a bartender. That's exactly. That's exactly. Yeah. You have everything, (laughs) everyone in that space wants and you're, you're, you're the gateway to it. No, it it was just, I know it was, it was odd, this intrinsic um, power that then sort of retroactively kind of helped build my confidence. Yeah. You know, and did that lead you to your first acting class or I I think in a way um, what had happened was, you know, again, I just I just realized I I was not being fulfilled at all with the lobbying gig. And a colleague of mine recommended his therapist uh, just like, hey, why don't you just talk some of this out? And, you know, they basically just gave me this assignment like, okay, if you could wake up tomorrow and be whatever you wanted to be, what would it be? 
Just take a pill and boom, you're that. What would it be? And she's like, don't don't answer it now. Think about it for a week. And so, you know, pretty much reflecting on my life and on that week. And I realized I go to a lot of theater. I've been watching, you know, the Washington Shakespeare Company, I, you know, studio theater, um, the arena stage, like a lot of theater. And I, I loved watching movies. And when watching movies, I would not just watch the movie and be entertained, but I would be kind of wondering what's happening over here outside the screen mm-hmm. or what are they looking at when they're looking, looking there? Like what's, you know, and I just realized I was thinking more about everything than just the mere entertainment of it. And, you know, I knew actors' names. I, you know, would, when we get in a conversation about it, it was just, I would end up wearing the other person out about the topic because I could just keep going and like, all right, I'm done about Ghostbusters. Can we move on? Um, so anyway, um, I was like, maybe actor. She's like, okay, well, what do you think you have to do to be an actor? Take a class? Why don't you take a class? So I did. And I hated it. <laughs> it was terrifying. It was ridiculous. Like, you know, it was just one of those, you know, actor classes where you have to go up and relate to a chair. I mean, it's just like, you know, one of those actor exercises that we all know by now, but to someone who is coming from a business world who's just a little bit more linear. Yeah, it's weird. So I did it for like two weeks. I hated it and I quit. And I'm like, all right, I scratched that itch. I'm done. Fine. Good. (laughs) Well, a year later, it kind of comes back. And again, I'm still in this job. And um, I just took a class again and it clicked. I don't know if it was the teacher or my maturity. I was a little more equipped to like kind of, okay, if I'm going to do this, I know that this is going to what I know what I need to do come to to go to this place and what's expected of me a little bit more Mm. and um and it just kind of clicked and things just started rolling I took another class I quit my lobbying job I became a full-time bartender I became a full-time bartender giving myself the conditions that number one no matter what time I went to bed that night I'd wake up by 10 a.m the next day so if I went to bed at four then that's how much sleep I have I went to bed at six so important as a bartender Huge. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, I just, and I took classes and then I, um, someone uh, introduced me to, or, or brought to the attention, um, auditions for a school, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And I worked on a monologue. <laughs> Emilio cool. Estevez's monologue from Breakfast Club was the first monologue. Yes, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's dating me (laughs) anyway um and i got in amazing and that's in new york well perfect question they have a campus in new york and la and i didn't check the box which one i was auditioning for amazing and so they were you know get back to me like we'd like to invite you to uh, attend the american academy of dramatic arts um Point of clarification, you didn't indicate which which campus you were interested in, in studying. Where would you like to go? 
I lived in the East Coast all my life. It was just like, it was just kind of, whoa, this big, big thing that all of a sudden just happened. And I was just like, fuck it. Yeah. I'm going to LA. I, it's funny. I actually went to AMDA. Okay. And um, when I it was going through an, an intense time of being um, 18 and figuring out what I wanted to do with my life, and then I got a scholarship to AMDA. Yeah. But part of that was I, I wanted to get out of New York Mm. so bad because yeah. I because actually I think it was in the winter the year before I left that I was like if I have to deal with one more winter I'm going to lose my mind yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just so cold and yeah. bitter yeah. but anyway so I went to LA for AMDA uh, also that's yeah so we were practically neighbors yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Julia used to call me from California going dad I got to get out of here. So I, I just heard the motivation to go to California. And now I'm hearing <laughs> what I remember is be like, I can't believe this place. I've got to get home. Oh and my God. All these stories I felt so bad. It was rough. It was rough. I think it also had to do with um, just the general attitude of everyone I was in school with yeah. was a big thing. Like yeah. I was the only one that the only one on in, on the LA campus that had a job and was paying their own way. Right. The right. only person that yeah. I knew of. It's and a so, different world out there. That's for yeah. sure. Um, and so I moved. I moved when I moved back to New York and went moved to the New York campus. I just was like, oh, thank God, there's real people here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's interesting though, and and absolutely. I mean, I had I had a great experience at Trader Joe's after about three years out there. And I was living in West Hollywood at the time and we're at the Trader Joe's and I'm being my curmudgeon East Coast guy. And the checkout guy, you know, he's just like, hey man, you're, you know, you're so East Coast. And I just, yeah. and I'm like, thank you. <laughs> thank you. But I actually, I had a very mixed and, and a lot of great experiences out there. Um, Me too. Many good yeah. people out there, many good friends still live out there. Some of the most fulfilling work that I've done, I will be honest, I was really fortunate enough to where I worked. I got involved with uh, a noise within theater company. Uh, cool. um, they're now in Pasadena, but they were in Glendale at the time at the old Masonic Lodge. And I did an internship with them between my graduating year at the Academy and my company year at the Academy. And man, was that just one. That was just a whole other education. I ended up doing a lot. You know, they kept calling me back to do work. You know, I, I, I you know, Chekhov, Shakespeare, um, a lot of Shakespeare. And it was mm. just real, just, you know, fed the soul. So, yes. and that's something I'll be honest, being back here, I haven't quite found again. So yeah. much of the LA experience I could do without that superficiality. I remember when I was, yeah. when I was part of uh, Cherry Orchard, I was so excited, so excited, and just, you know, I was playing Yasha. And uh, I worked on um, banquets at the Four Seasons Hotel after after school. And I was just, you know, brimming with it. And, you know, of course, all the waiters, we're all actors, writers, mm -hmm. you know, it's that whole thing. And we're talking, we're all talking about what we're doing. And I was talking to this one guy, actor, and he's like, yeah, so, you know, what, what what's this gig you got? What do you got? What are you doing? I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I was understudying the role of Yasha, and, um, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm going up and, and, and I'm taking over the role. And, you know, you know, he's like, Yasha. I'm like, yeah, Cherry Orchard, Chekhov. Who's Chekhov? 
Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, there's a superficiality that is is that there, but you find some good stuff there too. Oh, definitely. I, I felt like I came of age there actually in a huge way. I mean, I was nine, 18, turning yeah. 19. And uh, I met this guy, I was working at this coffee shop and I met this guy who was a piano player. His name was Eddie Shaw and played with everyone, all the old mm. blues guys, but was like a security guard and came in one day and asked to play the piano in the coffee shop because the coffee shop had open mics or whatever. Which coffee shop? Karma Coffee Shop on, on um, Coenga and Selma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right by that horrible sports bar named Big Wings. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that place, but I do remember Karma. You do? I lived, oh. I li- I lived by uh, Bird's Bar, which they had, um, there was a coffee shop around the corner there. But anyway, um, go ahead. I actually wasn't old enough to go to bars, so I didn't actually, well, Big Wings, I think I got into a handful of times, but nice. I don't know how. Nice. <laughs> anyway, well, whatever. Yeah, we know That's how. another story. <laughs> Anyway, um, but uh, so this guy, Eddie, anyway, long story short, he and I became this like duo and every Wednesday when they would play the, they would have the open mics. Um, he and I, I, w- I would sing like jazz standards with him. That's so and cool. It was so special, but similarly, yeah, there was like this, it was just really hard times also. Mm-hmm. There's some there. vapid energy there that just kind of, you know, that becomes yeah. this weird vacuum in and of itself. Yes. Totally. So what about your master's? So what did you come back to New York to get your master's for? Uh, (laughs) Acting. I came back. um, I saw Mark Rylance as Olivia in Twelfth Night. Mm. It did a, um, that production was uh, touring the country and it was in this, they were doing these very unconventional venues and it was when you walked in the theater, that was backstage. So you were walking into the dressing room of the actors, and then we would wow. walk through, and the backstage was the stage. And then watching this wow. production and watching that performance, I was like, I am never even close. I'm, I'm, I gotta get out of here. I'm never going to have a chance of being a part of something like that here. So I wasn't expecting to go to grad school. I actually didn't want to go to grad school, but it kind of found me because I did the Erdas, which I think I misunderstood at the time. I thought it was more a a conglomerate of regional theaters, which is in the title, but it was more about grad schools throughout the country. I don't know. Maybe maybe this podcast can reveal how not smart I really am. But... um, (laughs) I uh so those things are deceptive they're money making things also so what money making in the acting industry what <laughs> <laughs> so I was I, I don't know I, I went to this thing I went to the the Erdas up in San Francisco and I'm like this is this is all just schools I'm not here to go to school and right you know so I did it anyway and you know was what it was and then sort of off to the side was there was another audition being run by Mason Gross School of the Arts, Rutgers University. And I'm just like, what the hell? I'm just going to walk in. And uh, I kind of walk in and unbeknownst to me, it's a Meisner-based program. And I just come in with a full entrance like, all right, so what's this? You know, (laughs) and which is a big part of the Meisner work. I came in full kind of like, 
And they're like, how you doing? I'm like, I just, you know, or, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and they just kind of, we just kind of tuned in and, you know, it was Deborah Headwall, who was the head of acting at the time. And we just kind of hit it off and I did my work and we talked a bit and it just kind of clicked. And, and then ironically enough, where like little signs start, start availing themselves to you. Um, about a week later, I, I get an invite to come and visit, you know, they're interested in, in me and, you know, and again, my relationship in, in that moment was, was exciting. And I was doing a production of Hamlet at the time at, um, in, in like Beverly Hills, Hollywood border uh, along uh, La Cienega and a then new friend, now old friend of mine, Johnny Phillips, he and I were, were working together. And you might recognize him as Ethan Phillips. Um, uh-huh. He was asking about how the auditions were going. He's a very friendly guy and just inquisitive and was talking about the auditions. I was telling him about this one thing, Mason, you know, one audition, Mason Gross. And just sort of randomly, he mentions like, oh yeah, you know, I work with someone. She's amazing, amazing. You know, just throwing out these compliments. Her name Deborah had, I'm like, Deborah Headwall. And he's like, we just had this sort of moment of, of connection. And I don't know, I just kind of took that as a sign, like this might be where I need to be headed. Just these serendipitous mm-hmm. moments where like he knew her and worked with her as very good friends with an ex-husband of, of hers. And it just sort of like this smallness of the world kind of coming together, pointing me in this direction. I'm like, all right, maybe maybe this is where I need to to be right now. And visiting them and just kind of liking how that program was. Um, after that production of Hamlet, that was the last show I did in LA. And then by the next fall, I was on my way, another cross-country drive back to <laughs> the East Coast or the right coast, as I like to say. <laughs> right. Let, let's jump to now. Yeah. Let's jump to like where I think one, one thing we want to talk to you about is I think you're, you know, how you got there is a really uh, interesting story. Like everybody's story that we interview, it's so different. There are certain things that are similarities, but there's always these moments where, you know, like you're, you've already answered one of our questions, which is what was a pivotal moment you can name and meeting this woman from Mason Gross sounds like one of those. There's probably a lot more. Yeah. I want to focus on at the moment um, as you as an actor now. Um, what what what's your process if you can, you know, simplify it obviously to like the the sort of essence of your process. Like if if I if you're cast in something now, where do you start to work on the role and and like what are some of the steps that you take or do you even think of it as steps? I'm not sure. Whatever you'd like to. Um, offer. Yeah, um, it's interesting because I'm not sure if it's like a step by step process yeah. for me. Yeah. As, um, but that's not to say that there's not a process in the sense that I've always been, I think, instinctual uh-huh. with the work, and and but yet that's also born out of the details from the script. Mm-hmm. Um. 
And even with auditioning, one of the, one of the things I do love, I mean, is auditioning can be a, a, a really difficult <laughs> and pyrrhic endeavor. <laughs> um, it's a great exercise in, 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 in mining the details. Yeah. And for me, even just about word choice, it's like, okay, that's, you know, no, nothing is nothing in a script. And so I, I think what it is, is I start from there. I mean, you know, it, I mean, that's auditioning. Let's say that. I mean, you know, of course you think about a, a relationship. Maybe, maybe I start there like, okay, who am I? Who, who's around me? What is my relationship to them? How are they talking to me? Yeah. And what does that say about this character? Right, right. Or again, like, you know, I mean, I usually pay, play, you know, um, <laughs> the bad guys or someone's guilty of something. So <laughs> who are they? <laughs> the relationship is usually they, they got something on me and I'm trying to get over on them, you know, so. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, the, you know, again, when there's a detail, I realize like that needs to be something. I would like to teach that to several new writers that I've come across in the last five or 10 years, that everything in the script is supposed to be there for a reason and be yeah. intentional. Yeah. But really, um, that's not always the case anymore. Right. But um, one thing I've found that um, I, in, in uh, film and television, I get a lot of stuff that's just who I am already, right? Because that's the way that works. But when you're doing a play, it's a little different. So. Can you talk about that? Like if you're, when you approach a character in a play, mm -hmm. uh, what are the, some of the things that you look for to discover the, not only how you're like that character, which we all have to do, yeah. but also how you're, you know, when, when and if he's not, he or she is not like you. Right, right. Um, I would say for plays in particular, TV, TV is different. Like you said, it's yeah. kind of, it's, it's efficient and there it's, it's just tell the story, tell the story mm -hmm. uh, with a play. Yeah. There's a little bit more, more um, freedom and a little bit more um, breath involved. Something that has worked for me in the past and, and maybe it's just because I've always been a Lee J Cobb fan is a bit of animal work mm. yeah yeah and i remember in um one of my most powerful experiences in grad school was in a production of maria irene fornes's play mud mm. and i played um character of lloyd it's a very interesting tragic play and Lloyd, I mean, it's like something out of deliverance, quite frankly. We don't have to get into the details of it, but it just, you know, uh, he has prostatitis from, uh, you know, um, being intimate with um, pigs. So we'll just give you the sense of, 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 of what this guy is. And I just had this. It's a light and, light and fluffy piece. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a laugh riot. Actually, by today's standards, it might be, but that's the yeah, right. <laughs> And I just had this image of this mangy junkyard dog. Yeah. And that just kind of sent me on my way. And the reason why I bring up Lee J. Cobb is, of course, with Death of a Salesman, there's just this, this you know, this image of um, 
this this gorilla, I believe, I think is what he was working. Yeah, that's what he was working. And that was yeah. something that I just always found really cool. Or or I think of Anthony Sher with when his kid with his Richard the Third was of the spider. You know, yeah, mm. and that was something that um, I always liked. I mean, and I'm not always too abstract, but I do feel like finding a different kind of energy to a person, and then and then filtering myself in there. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think you know uh, one thing that's not um, uh, emphasized enough in the what I'm hearing that actors are getting from from other teachers and stuff is not only this part, the animal part, which is fantastic, but um, also like rhythm and tempo. And yeah. um, Stanislavski, you know, of course, famously said that uh, finding the rhythm and tempo for a character is, you can't, you don't have him until you find that. And so um, I think it's, it's huge. I can't tell you how many times I've seen an actor go from, I don't know what's going on, to changing the rhythm and going, oh, yep. <laughs> there it is, yep. yeah. you know, or the tempo. Uh, uh, so I, I get that. Like, I think also um, too much intellectualization early on about a character can, you know, you can have all the right answers and not be able to play the dude or the woman, you know. Um, I mean, I've seen that happen a lot. I, well. I have, I have a, that's, that's a really fine point because I still take classes, even right now with all this world, you know, I'll take an acting class. Yeah. And, um, which is an interesting experience, but, but of value. One thing mm-hmm. I have gleaned and I've gotten this from not only my teaching, but being in class as a student, I am finding that actors are, substituting the intellectualization of the process as the work yeah. right when in cool. fact what i'm witnessing is they're very smartly very intellectually talking themselves out of active choices mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah right. or thinking themselves out of it yeah and, and it's like you could judge this person all you want not helping you empathize with this person you're asked to live um so what do you want to do take an academic class or an acting class because they're very different and i'm not sure you know and not in a vacuum i mean i i definitely feel like as a young actor fresh out of acting school i rem i I don't know if i can remember a distinct moment but but i do know that i was very much obsessed with remembering to do all the technical things because that would get me apart but it's not true like People want to see a real live person. I, I so that, as long as you're listening and responding, <laughs> like it's it's pretty simple. Yeah. And also, like if you've done the work, hopefully the work will shine through. But there's only so much intellectual work you can do. Yeah, and I heard that very point um, made by a prominent casting director with whom I just took a, a you know workshop. She made that exact point because a student was basically like, "Well, I'm out of frame." It's like. I don't, I don't care if you're out of frame for that moment right now. Something real is happening. If you're over here, but I can feel that something's happening and we find our way back, it's like we want to see the life and we'll get it. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, you know, very it's point. so true. I recently, Dad, you and I worked on this. Uh, you coached me through this part for a short film last year where I was playing this person who was on a killing spree, which is like yeah. I had never really played a part like that before. Um, 
and was finding, you know, was feeling a little intimidated by the scene where I had to shoot someone. It was just a short film, but I've yeah. never shot a gun in real life. Wow. And, but so, but my dad, amazing friend, father, and acting coach, <laughs> we talked about like, you know, me being, um, being a weapon. Oh, wow. In, and, and so I was actually using like an inanimate object because I think there, when, when you, someone is murdering people that there is like a dissociation and I was really freaking proud of that little short film. Interesting. <laughs> and I think I also read really young and like yeah. then filtered myself through it. So there was definitely like this really dynamic thing happening. And I do think, yeah, image work is just hugely important and not, not talked about yeah. a lot in, in class. It just, it just, yeah. And I also, I also think uh, getting out of the way um, as a person can sometimes be really key. Mm. Um, and we can talk about, we, the three of us could talk about this till the cows come home, yeah. but some of the biggest uh, breakthroughs I've had and, and helped to initiate with people um, are when the character's dying to come out and the person is like trying to control it. And if you can, Right. You know, and it, it, you don't get those all the time. I've had exactly three of them in my life, and I remember them all, and I could go do them now. I don't, even if I'm too old to do it, I could still go do them again because that's a person that's alive in me, and I just have to get out of the way. Drop it off, drop it off, drop it off. Like, just get out of the way. And yeah. that's not you – don't, you don't know about that until you, you have had a teacher good enough to lead you there and then say, okay, drop everything, just drop everything, yep. you know. You, you said a magic word there um, for me. Anyway, it's called control. Yeah. You know, and it seems like something that we're, you know, are societally having this, this relationship with that I, I'm not sure is serving the artist these days. Mm. Yeah. Because it's requiring us to surrender an amount of control. And I guess you use another word there, maybe, you know, connected to, you know, people's trusting of other people. Like you're, you're yeah. not here you know, we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do you any harm here. And being uncomfortable isn't, isn't the same as being unsafe. Right. That's right. great. Great way to put it. Yeah. I remember that um, moment with you, Jules, because I knew that that something took hold. And that, um, and yeah. that's the other thing is that I'm sure you found this too, Chris, like the best, um, the best parts of a process in working with a teacher or a director or another cast member is often a, a thing that happens that no one could have known, but all the steps getting there made it possible. And then you're in a world and you would never been in that world before, but you know, you know, you can recognize, Oh, this is it. Yep. Here's the play. Here's the play. I mm. get it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the images just to touch on that one more time. Just yeah, absolutely. Of like, cold steel sharp like wow. all of those things were so much more powerful than like i don't know any journaling that i would have done about the character even though i did do that and and so yeah. i had all of that also but then like the sort of icing was like these these things that i could these like touchstones or like these talisman that i could come back to that were these images like anytime i would feel myself slipping into empathy you know what i mean that it was like nope like and and it yeah, it created just a really cool yeah. and really beautiful experience for me to discover parts of myself. That's cool. That are really strong. That's very cool. It's funny. You know, when, when you said the therapist question way, way back in the beginning, it's one of our questions is sort of 
built in is like, if you could do anything you wanted, like, what would you do? But we're going to ask that question of you now <laughs> as an actor. If you could project into anything that, you know, like what would your ideal uh, next, you know, COVID notwithstanding, what would your ideal like next uh, five years be or 10 years be or whatever, one year? I don't know. Um, Jesus, Terrence, that these days, that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a big question. I mean, I, I've always been attracted to the works of people that may be not known by name. And it's not to disparage any of these these types of actors, but I just kind of knew like I was not going to be the Brad Pitt or the Tom Cruise type, you know, thing. Um, but Norbert Leo Butts has a great career that I would uh, certainly lie lie down he for. Um, the work of Chris Cooper, um, you know, uh, yeah. or or, or oh, you, you know so the good. James Rayborns, even though you know he he has at least a foot and a half on me, but you know it's like these work actors that that are around and you're like i know that name i know that face and just is there and you know god to be on the stage and then you know like 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 have a play to work on and maybe a recurring you know i mean it's it's the dream but like you know you want to you want to do those roles like i i feel like Stanley's still in me. I yeah. feel like that Aww. that's something that's really there. Um, you know, it, it's, I don't know, you know, it, it gets a little starlight right now and a little, little daydreamy right now, just cause you know, theater, theater doesn't feel that, I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. I think, I think right now it, it's, it, you can't ignore the circumstance. Um, mm -hmm. TV film, maybe a little bit more. I mean, it, it felt like there was some momentum going for a little bit that I would love to be able to just reconnect to and find my way back to that zero. Um, lately, I've been thinking about, I don't know, maybe maybe it's about finding another place and just, you know, living, living in a community. That's something right now, I'm, you know, five years from now, I'd like to find a community. I'm still in the hunt for that. Yeah, um, and the community that I found in Slings and Arrows, remember that show? God, that would be heaven. It took place up in Canada. Oh yes, yes. With the, the, <laughs> yes. the you know the the Shakespeare Theater and these this troop of actors just that's that's a bit of what I had with Noise Within the the great people there that I, I miss so dearly. So five years from now, I, I would say to have a, a community of some sort. That's great. That is wonderful. Um, Such a sweet goal. Yeah. And attainable, yeah. totally attainable. I know. And you, you know, you, you, I agree, Jules. And, and you mentioned the, um, um, some of those actors that you know that, uh, that, like we know the names of these people that you mentioned and we know their faces, we know their work, but a lot of people don't even know their names because they're just watching the TV and there's that guy again um, ben Mendelssohn to me is one of those actors who yeah. mm -hmm. uh, he just I've uh, he uh, a couple of times just so understood a kind of person that I have known in my life mm -hmm. that it was uncanny. 
just like yeah. un- uncanny. So, um, yeah, character actors, man. <laughs> yeah, on that topic, uh, I got I'm gonna throw a recommendation out to anyone watching it right now, or or yeah. listening right now. Detectorists. Okay. Right. It's on Acorn. Yeah. It's written and directed by Mackenzie Crook, whom you know with absolute utmost respect the man is a virtuoso uh he's a maestro um you may remember him as gareth from the office uh-huh. wrote and directed this piece and he's acting in it and it's with uh toby jones mm. and i personally believe you know there's a little little honor to to the recent recent past i think it was diana riggs last gig that she did she was in it as well a lovely season, lovely series, three seasons long, well worth it. And that's cool. the type of work I would I would pay to be involved with. Chris yeah. uh, Chris Cooper was hit home for me when you mentioned him just because yeah. oh, oh my god. Yeah. He's just yeah. fant- uh, such a fantastic actor. Is there anything you're working on now before we close that uh, or or something you've done recently or something you have maybe hopefully will take off? Um well, I mean, aside from, you know, some fledgling uh, goes at some type of waiting for Godot inspired work that's out there in the ether. Um, yeah, still in the ether. I've, yeah. been, um, I've been doing a lot of writing lately, which is not something I do and terrifies me. I'm, I'm not a writer. My mind does not work that way. But I've been just kind of trying to muscle through it. And... Um, I've been writing a lot of pieces, individual um, pieces on my parents. And, you know, we recently moved them out of their home of like 50 plus years. My, my home, my, my childhood home, we moved them out of that and um, uh, into, um, you know, assisted living and, and whatnot. And that day, that last day of, in the house for them, was such a huge event for all of us that it's just been sticking and haunting me. And mm. I've been writing a lot about it. And I was writing about it, um, I've been writing on it for maybe coming up on a year now. I shudder to think on that. But uh, and with the idea that it, it would be like a one-person show. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I don't know, been a very tricky process for me with that and uh then added the current situation and again its impact on the immediate future theater that just didn't feel maybe the futility of that was also kind of bogging me down a little bit like what's the point but then i don't know um a good friend of mine was reading the material and he had a a spin on things and then it kind of dawned on me that maybe this is a screenplay or there's a screenplay in this. And so I've been... Um, Sounded like it to me. Me too. <laughs> That's maybe because of the context we're talking in. But Yeah, well, um, there might be a part for you, sir. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. As, as well for you. Julia, um, also, uh, Julia's writing and directing and making her own films and still managing to act. And uh, I don't know how you're paying for anything, honey, but you seem to be doing it. <laughs> well, I this is the first time that I've ever collected unemployment since I was 15 and wow. I'm 33. Oh. So, wow. I'm 
um, fully enjoying being able to spread my creative wings yeah. and yeah. collect unemployment until I, until I can't anymore. Hey. And no shame. Not at all. Not at all. Good for you. <laughs> and also being writer, being, uh, I'm just venturing into writing for the first time myself. And I don't know right now what I'm writing isn't performance based stuff, but, um, I'm just thinking that, right. You know, writers are necessary like people like for all the reasons that have come up in this chat we've been having about the details and how you find things and where the inspiration is and also where you know the writers some of the writers that have come up tangentially in this conversation tennessee williams arthur miller and so on they're they're addressing the incredible mystery of life that can some part of which I've only ever felt in the theater. Like I, I, I get movies. I love movies. I get novels and books like, and some, some of my signature experiences in my life were while reading a great writer, like a Robert Louis Stevenson or Dostoevsky or something. Yeah. But right now I miss the mystery of being in a room and, you know, having that tangible something in the, in the air that the actors create, yep. right. Yep. That, it just isn't the viscera. I've never, had, I've never felt it anywhere else. Yeah, and I think it's uh, in some way we're already a community if we're agreeing that that has to be kept to life. You know, yeah, uh, kept alive. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for being here with us. Oh my this, god, this was awesome. Thank you for inviting me. I'm flattered yeah. to be in the loop. <laughs> <laughs> woo, woo. yeah we're talking with christopher halliday it's been a great uh great chat thank you so much well, thank you thank you thank you thank i'm gonna you. hit leave now so i don't wait okay. right. goodbye Bye. Bye. <laughs> that was the lovely chris halliday speaking with julia and terry Criscow. find out more about our guests and us at why we do this podcast.com <laughs>